This Week in HPC. Google lowers entry cost for supercomputing. A new AMD GPU shows HPC promise. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everybody, and thanks for listening to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research. I'm Addison Snell, and that's Michael Feldman. And This Week in HPC is distributed in partnership with our friends at top500.org. And This Week in HPC, Michael, we've got a new way to access low-cost supercomputing resources through Google Cloud. Yeah, Google announced uh, just this week, this past Wednesday, the availability of something they're calling preemptible virtual machines, uh, preemptible VMs. And it's basically analogous to what Amazon does with its spot instances for their cloud. It, it gives you uh, cycles that are sort of lower priority, that aren't sort of dedicated to a specific workload uh, that are just sort of hanging around, but they're preemptible. So if higher priority work comes in, they'll, they'll get preemptible. And they're able to do this uh, and offer these these kinds of things at a much lower price because of the sort of the lower service they're providing here. In the case of Google, it's like 60 or 70 percent lower than their their nominal cloud price, and so all of a sudden it becomes very attractive to a lot of different workloads where you don't need uh, continuous service where you can preempt your application and then just do a little bit and then come back and do the rest of it, uh, which accounts for a lot of different applications can use this, and especially or I should say in particular, ones in the supercomputing area. Yeah, this gets back to one of the original ideas of cloud computing, that if I have a very large infrastructure like Google or Amazon or, or other hyperscale companies have, that part of that infrastructure isn't always being used for um, you know, web traffic, retail, uh, searching, email, that I have more capacity than I always need all the time. And this is the idea of selling off that extra idle capacity at an ultra-cheap price as long as the end user agrees that if I need it back, I can uh, uh, pretty much just kick you out on no notice. You get evicted right. from those cores. You don't have them anymore, and then I might give them back to you uh, once they're available again. So it's a way to get really cheap resources, but they're they're kind of the the bottom of the barrel, the pig trough of HPC cycles. But you know, some applications can really use those. Yeah, and as long as your application is set up so that it's 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 saving its. Uh data results as it goes along or checkpoint or doing something that can tolerate that sort of behavior, you're fine, and you can get all of this at a, at a you know severely discounted price. Um, they actually have been playing around with this for a while, and I think they've been, uh, you know, sort of testing the waters, and now it is generally available. So one proof point uh, that went along with this announcement is they, they had a customer actually use some of these preemptible VMs to do some real work. And in this case, it was a, a cancer research institute called the Broad Institute, and they used over 51,000 of these computing cores uh, in this in this infrastructure to study the relationship between uh, uh, genes the, with uh, cell lines that were that were cancerous, and uh, to test some molecules that might uh, might be used to to attack. 
attack those those cell lines. In other words, they're basically looking for drugs and treatments to to attack the genomic expression that that's involved with the cancer. And so, if they had run this thing on like a, a laptop or a computer, a single computer, it would have taken about 30 years. They were able to do this on a $51,000 core infra, or $51,000 core infrastructure uh, in a much shorter period of time. In this case, a couple of hours, and they were able to do it for about four thousand uh, dollars, which was a very good price for all that. And uh, you know, everybody was very happy all around. Cycle Computing was the company that helped uh, the institute set this up, um, and it was a nice proof point. It was something that that Cycle has done with the with the Amazon Web Services cloud at, at even larger scales. But it was the first time anybody had done this uh, with the Google Cloud. Yeah, and that's a great uh, case in point, and it highlights, I think, three important things about that example. One is the role of cycle computing, which has become a, a real leader in helping people provide access to HPC resources in the cloud, so they can act as that go-between in, in helping you bridge your application out to public cloud resources. They have, as you pointed out, been doing that very successfully with AWS, which is the, the leader in market share in cloud for HPC. And, and now to be able to bring Google into that fold, uh, it does provide more competition for Amazon, and it's more good business for Cycle. Cycle's in a great spot there. Secondly, it highlights the type of application that does pretty well in cloud. We've, we've talked about it, it really it makes the most economic sense when it's something that where you need a lot of additional cycles for not a very long amount of time, in the sense that if you needed it all the time, you're still better off buying it as opposed to waiting for the cycles to become available on an on-demand fashion through Amazon or Google. You know, here you're waiting for what cycles are available. If you needed them all the time, you, you'd buy them. Uh, if you didn't need very much more than what you had, you might just throw it into your queue and wait. But right. for uh, this kind of scientific research, uh, most of your work is done, uh, you know, without this kind of computation, but then you need a lot of compute for a short amount of time, and then you go and you study the results for a while. And life sciences, academic research has been one of the, the key adopting areas of cloud. Uh, if there is a, a commercial vertical market that we've seen adopting HPC cloud, it's been pharmaceuticals. Um, some pockets of finance look like they're starting to follow on behind that. And that's really the, the third main point, is that we are seeing this growth in uh, HPC in the cloud, and, and that's been part of our, our most recent market model and forecast, where H, uh, cloud has been a small part of HPC, but it is growing, and we're seeing a 14% compound annual growth rate in cloud computing uh, um, overall over the next five years. Yeah, and, and you know that that is a a nice data point. I think the fact that. Google itself has sort of jumped into this and is offering this this type of service now. Might, might even stimulate more people to look at this. I mean, you mentioned some of the sort of low hanging fruit there, but you know, one sort of gets the impression that if you know, there's sort of. Uh, Individual application areas or, or or groups that might take another look at this because all of a sudden the pricing becomes a lot better that might have kept them out of the market before, uh, you know they might start attracting people doing computational chemistry research or or certain small smaller uh, 
you know, rendering uh, companies that are doing that sort of work to, to jump in here that they don't have their own infrastructure or, or loathe to, to build up infrastructure. Um, it sort of opens up this new market now that sort of Amazon has what looks like some, you know, reasonable competition in this area. I, I think it will bode well for some of the pricing. In this case, the VMs here that, that Google's offering, it's only a, like a, a penny and a half per VM, which seems r- really cheap to me, per hour. It's a penny and a half per hour, um, which which means you can get quite a lot of compute time on, on basically a core for, you know, almost almost nothing now. And if you can scale that yeah. out, if your application can scale pretty well, uh, you can do a lot of work for relatively cheap like, like this institute did. Yeah, it, it is really cheap. And, and I think the primary adopter are going to be in academia. Uh, you've got this uh, this example with Broad. It's a life sciences example, sure, but I, I, I think on the research side, the academic side, that's where you're going to find users who are more tolerant to potential interruptions, longer wait times, uh, as long as it can be cheaper. Once you get into the commercial world, there's going to be more sensitivity to how quickly can the job be done, right. uh, and uh, you know you're you're not always going to be scraping for the cheapest cores you can. You might be willing to pay more in order to have something that's more on demand, or or you might be looking at moving things internal if you really want to uh, control them. I, I, we, we do think cloud is going to continue to grow, but this is most attractive, I think, to the academic workforce. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right there. There, there might be some, some edge cases in commercial areas uh, that, that might take a look at this as well. But, um, you know, overall, it, it's sort of pleasing to see that there's sort of going to be more more sort of these offerings, in, the, in this case, by a very large cloud company that, uh, you know, is, is now going to offer some of these things. And it's going to make uh, the price of computing cheaper for, for a, lot of, a lot of people and a lot of different workloads. Yep, Tom Lang at Procter and Gamble, when he was still there, used to say that he wanted those cycles that no one else wanted—the really cheap ones. And right. uh, so, I, I think you will find uh, some pockets of commercial end users, even outside of life sciences, that'll do this. It, you know, lower lower price point can only mean you'll find more users who will want that kind of access. I, I don't think it'll totally change the landscape of HPC, but you might find some people who can really take advantage of it. Yep. Well, also, Michael, this week in HPC, you know a new article out of VR World talking about um, the new AMD GPU, which we've talked about before, but they've done a more thorough analysis of how it might be applied in high-performance computing markets, including some of their own benchmarks. Right. I mean, here they're talking about the newest AMD GPU, which is not in the server-side GPU line yet, that Fire Pro uh, line, but it's it's the Fiji... Uh, GPU architecture, which is now they start out in their consumer line, and what the VR world did was they they looked at this and they sort of speculated on what this might mean when uh, they can they take this architecture and, and put it in a Fire Pro and let somebody run it in a server. Um, it's a pretty impressive architecture. There, it's I mean AMD's always been very good uh, with their GPUs as far as performance. This one uh, runs it. Eight and a half, or a little over eight and a half teraflops, single precision, and uh, the speculation is when they get that into a um, a server side version, they're going to have basically half that in double precision uh, teraflops. So basically, four point three teraflops, which is quite impressive, and and today would would outrun anything that. Uh, 
NVIDIA's offering and certainly anything beyond uh, Phi is offering, and probably even more than the um, the upcoming night's landing would offer as far as you know sheer peak performance. So, very impressive GPU, and it it's also has this uh, what they call their high bandwidth memory. Uh, their 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 version of their 3D stack memory that they're using to accelerate this GPU and and it, like I said it's already in their consumer side and if they put it in their server side sometime later this year uh, it would be a very competitive offering and a very uh, compelling option for I think a lot of supercomputing company or a lot of supercomputing users looking for a lot of graphics performance. Yeah, I, we've talked about AMD in this space and their ability to make an HPC comeback, and they've got some compelling things in their roadmap. Uh, and uh, you know, here you've got a publication, VR World, which primarily is in the gaming space. They look at graphics and gaming, and it's become evident even to to that publication how much computing power there is in this new generation of GPUs. Now, that said, they've got a lot of coming back to do against Intel and NVIDIA. NVIDIA especially on the GPU computing side, and a lot of these comparisons that we're seeing in these benchmarks, they're comparing against the, the non-accelerated x86, and you know it's not really an apples-to-apples -apples comparison. How do you think they're going to do when you really get into the, the comparisons against a Xeon Phi or an NVIDIA chip? Well, I think in, in peak performance, I think they'll do quite well. I mean, AMD GPUs has always been very competitive from a peak performance point of view. What, what they're, they're less adept at is, is sort of turning that into application performance because they don't quite have the software stack to, to help programmers realize this. They're relying on uh, OpenCL, which actually I think is actually maturing quite a bit, so they can, they can use OpenCL to get these applications going. But the hardware itself is sort of less general purpose, let's say, than, than either an NVIDIA GPU or, or something like a Xeon Phi that's, that's made for more general purpose computing. But for sheer performance, uh, AMD has done very well, and I think they're going to do very well with this chip as, as they move it into the, the server-side GPU. It's just uh, there's always the, the devil in the details of turning that into application performance, and, and there I think we're going to just have to wait and see and, and see how that plays out. Not only application performance, but the entire software environment, the development environment that goes around that. You know, you're, you've got Intel tools on the one side versus CUDA on the other, and AMD's kind of in the middle with OpenCL, which we've talked about as a nice sounding community, uh, open community engagement. But, but my assessment would be that OpenCL is a little behind where the other proprietary offerings are. Yeah, I think that's true. Now, we should mention in the benchmarks that the VR world did, they, like you said, it wasn't an apples-to-apples -apples comparison. They were comparing against the consumer-level high-end, uh, although high-end uh, CPU, in this case a Haswell CPU. Uh, but they were running this against for scientific and some financial computing benchmarks. And what they observed is they were getting, uh, in some of these, they were getting on the order of like 100x performance advantages on, on this GPU, this Fuji GPU, over the... As well, that would suggest pretty good application performance. Or um, considering that you know, when you just look at the hardware itself, a CPU and a GPU, there's there's not a hundred x difference in performance. Usually, it's usually more like ten x. So they were able to utilize that GPU rather efficiently, at least for these 
application-centered benchmarks. So that might bode well as as this moves into uh, you know some production codes, and maybe they'll they'll get some sort of breakthrough here and be much more competitive than they have in the past. Well, you know, we all want to see what's going to happen with AMD in this space. They've recommitted to high-performance computing, supercomputing. The conference is coming to their backyard in Austin. That's right. So, you know, we, we all want to see what they're going to do and uh, whether the roadmap will live up to the potential that they, they seem to have for high-performance computing. Yeah, well, it's always fun. It's going to be fun to see AMD uh, compete against. It looks like they they have like reemphasized their HPC uh, uh, goals, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll see what they're offering the the upcoming uh, conference in November, and we'll see what Nvidia has to offer as well. All right, Michael. Well, another pair of interesting stories this week. Thanks for uh, bringing them to our attention, and uh, thanks to you for listening. You've been listening to this week in HPC. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. 